0: science on bcfm 93.2 or BCFMradio.com. Uh, com, and uh, it's always a pleasure to have your company this uh, on on monday afternoons uh, this is our last show before uh, our summer break we're off next week and uh, all the way through august um, and our own andrew glaster is uh, off today but by a miracle of science he's been replaced <laughs> <laughs> by a voice that you might recognise. It's John Ford. So. John Ford's coming. He's I, either come in early yeah. by accident mm. or you're deliberately helping us out this week. No, I'm always in early preparing. <laughs> always in. <laughs> fail to prepare, prepare to fail. You just sat down and found yourself out <laughs> yeah. of the show. No, no. I was um, walking
1: by and you went, oi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: yeah. it's great to have uh, John, John with us. said to me last week, if you ever want me to uh, be involved <laughs> in the show, I'm always happy to help no, you I you didn't up. think, think you would phone me. And I did. I took him up. On it, which yeah. is... Uh, no, it's lovely to be here. Great, it's lovely yeah. to have a chat
1: about uh, a bit of science, which is very good. Cool. Yeah, well, you are uh, an engineer, aren't you? I'm a mechanical trade. engineer by yeah. by upbringing and yeah. uh, trade, as it were, you yeah, know, yeah. first job and everything. Did, uh, how
0: how did you work for long as an engineer, or did yes, you decide, no, yes, it yeah. wasn't my thing? No,
1: no, no. I, um, I, after school, I went to college, and I did mechanical engineering. I didn't go to university. I went to Brunel Technical College uh, in right, Bristol, yeah, yeah. which became Bristol Poly, yeah, yeah. Um, which is now the UWE, I suppose. Yes, of course, yeah. 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 Uh, and but, I went there, did mechanical engineering, got a job as a draftsman, my first job, with a company called Bristol Packaging Machines, which used to be called Brecknell, Dolman & Rogers, uh-huh. the Dolman bit was Harry Dolman, who owned a third of the company, who the stand at Ashton Gate is named after. Because he was a big shareholder at Bristol City. Yeah. Wow!
0: Now there's there so ma- there's, there's so history. many
1: connections there. You yeah. blow my brain. I don't know what to say now. Yeah, so I worked well for them as a draftsman. Yeah. 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 And they made um, machines for packaging. They they made machines that put flour and sugar into bags or wrapped butter and margarine that kind of thing. Very ah. sexy stuff. Yeah.
0: And, and and when uh, when you listen to our show, given your yeah. uh, given your training in your and your background, yes. are you always wincing when we come up with no? The I have no stuff? clue what you're talking. All oh, right. <laughs> Good. So we've managed. To baffle you That's good I
1: mean But you cover everything Don't you Not just mechanical engineering And and of course I I worked in that For quite a while And I drifted Into other stuff So uh, Yeah Yeah Yeah. Um, Um, Life in broadcasting Well life in broadcasting as well. But yeah But it's always good To have a proper job Yeah, you can always fall back on it. (laughs)
0: Absolutely, yes. And you can always fix the tumble dryer. I'm always thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. things go a bit, a bit Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. So, are you enjoying the weather? I'm enjoying the weather very much. I had a very very busy weekend because I was um, uh, doing the comparing and hosting and commentating at the Harbour Festival this weekend. Ah, yes, which was very good. And I got to talk engineering with a member of the or the um, what the the vice chair of the. Institute of Marine Engineers. All oh, right, um, And he was he was flabbergasted because there's talk of them joining forces with the Institute of Mechanical Engineers. Oh, my goodness. And he's, oh, this should never happen. Very shocked. <laughs> it should never happen. <laughs> no, he was a very nice man. Some form uh, of blasphemy. Yeah, yes. yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it was, uh, it was an interesting conversation, yeah. I said I actually, was a mechanical engineer. Well, I'm a marine engineer, so, yeah. you know, we had a bit of fisticuffs on the dockside <laughs> and that was it. Well, it must have made for good
0: radio. That's, what, that's all well, I it, it
1: wasn't radio, it was it was for the the, the PA for the um, for the crowd there, but uh, we were talking about his steamboats. He was there with a steamboat. That was uh, the whole point, and he, yeah. he makes these things. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. I th- I think marine engineering must be an amazing yeah. uh, life, mustn't it? You know, you have to yeah. uh, know everything about how a boat works. And one of my, one of the characters. I'm I'm a bit weird like this. One of the characters <laughs> I really admired, and that you know, the film The Titanic, yeah. the Cameron, yeah. the Cameron one, actually, and the and the earlier one. Um, yeah. Uh, a night to remember. Yes. Um, the, the character I really admired was the engineer. Right. The guy who saw it all coming mm. and he warned people and yeah, said, Look, no. we can't stay afloat.
1: Nobody listened
0: to him. And no they? one listened no. to him. No. And yeah. I just thought, amazing, really. This guy's, you know, he's helped build it, he's in charge of this boat, you know, he knows everything.
1: That's You're happening. a professional, obviously, because uh, one of the subjects that we're going to be talking about if we get around to it is an iceberg.
0: Yes, on the program. That, that's yes. a bit later, of course. But Titanic, we'll get, you no, know, there's a, you that there's a real there link. Yeah, there's you saw that coming. There. I saw that
1: one coming. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, um, so we need to go back to weather. So you're do, you're, you're you're doing the Harbour Festival. Mm, in, mm, the, it really was pretty hot it this was year.
1: Very, very it's hot.
0: It's been yesterday. hot for days and days. And yeah, we've has, just yeah. heard on the news. I mean, yeah. if you if you were listening to the news earlier, you will have heard uh, that uh, we've now gone to a level uh, three alert. Um, so the Met Office is saying uh, we're just um, on the edge of a well, it sounds a bit a melodramatic, wave, yeah. but, a, but a bit of a crisis,
1: mm. and and it, it's a heatwave. But we get this uh, all the time, don't we, Malcolm? Um, when it gets particularly hot in this country, it's panic. You know, panic stations, hosepipe bands, Don't have a bath. Don't have a shower. Yeah. Uh, d- don't use the dishwasher. Use a bowl in the sink and then use the washing up water to yeah. uh, water the roses. Yeah. Fair enough. They, but they do that in Australia, day in day out. I mean, let's face it. They they're used to that kind of. thing. Yes, they it, do. Uh, but
0: they do. But it's the same with snow. This is. Yeah, for a moment, yeah, exactly. No. Um, people say, well, the Canadians manage perfectly well, you yeah. know. And Toronto carries on working, even though it's way under. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason is we don't have the infrastructure for it, you know. We don't cope. Mm. I mean, an obvious thing is we carpet all our houses, we do. And uh, to anybody who lives in hot climes, that's absurd. You don't put carpets down, you put uh, tiles down. because you, uh, tiles, tiles or main, marble or whatever. Yeah, because yeah, 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 they, yeah. they maintain cool. their, yeah. their temperature and, their, and,
1: yeah. and, and,
0: and they're cool.
1: So um, We can't cope with it in this country. And you do feel sorry for, you know, we're always looking on our neighbour anyway, um, yeah. because she's elderly and on her own, yeah. but, you know, particularly mm-hmm. suffering uh, in this weather, as they do in the... Adverse cold as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I was looking at the NHS uh, website and uh, in, in the light of the fact we do have a level three alerts, so we do have to take it very seriously. Uh, it says, you know, uh, the heat wave can affect anyone, everyone, but the most vulnerable people are older people, especially people over 75. Do you know mm. something I didn't know? When you, on average, it's not true for every individual, but on average, you stop sweating, uh, over 70. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So, So it's harder for you when you're older to
1: cool Right. By sweating. Which Can is I just say that Malcolm and I haven't stopped sweating.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sweating right now. Oh, yeah. No, really. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, babies and young
0: children, of course, you have to keep a, a, an eye on them. People with serious chronic conditions, mm. particularly heart problems or breathing problems. Yeah. People with mobility problems—if so you've got had a stroke, Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease, or something. People with serious mental health problems. Now, we we wouldn't normally think about this, but if you have a serious mental health problem, you may not. Take the right actions to look after yourself. Correct. Yeah. And so we should, as a community, be more aware yeah. that, that yeah. Uh, people in that uh, with with that issue may not look after themselves uh, properly. In the heat, um, people on certain medications—it uh, doesn't say what those medications are—but if they, if it affect, if you know if you're taking uh, a prescribed medication that affects mm. a, a sweating or your temperature control, and you know that you need to be aware that that's a, an issue for you. Mm. People who misuse alcohol or drugs—it's fairly straightforward. Uh, people who are physically active, for example, labourers or doing sports, because you can, you you have to do less mm. in weather like this. So. There we go. Mm.
1: Yeah, it is. I'm just looking at. Um, we we heard in the news at uh, three o'clock earlier um, that the Met Office says stay out of the sun, certainly between the core hours of between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., which is the, the hottest time of the day. You know the old mantra: a mad dog's an Englishman who lies out in the midday sun. Yeah, and all of that is actually quite true, isn't it? Yeah. Um. Yeah, and they're actually saying, but just stay inside if yeah. you possibly can. Yeah. Um, and don't go out. It is. I mean, it is particularly hot. But I'm I'm old enough, so are you, to remember 1976 when we had similar conditions. In fact, 76 was my last year at school. Was it? I'm a tad younger than you. I left in 1976, yeah. So I was doing exams uh, during that summer. Yeah. I've always used that as the excuse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it was hot, yeah. I got... Well, well, this is interesting. Mm. I got married in nineteen seventy-five, so I think I'm a tad uh, older okay. than you. Oh yeah, you are. Well, I'm fifty-nine
1: this year. I don't care. how people yeah. Are older. I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I got married. I got married very young. It has to be said, but I did. I, I got I got married in nineteen seventy-five. That was billed, August nineteen seventy-five was the hottest year. Mm. Um, it, was, it was a record-setting. It, it, year It was, yes, yeah. Seventy-six. My sister got married. And uh, it was even hotter during the summer. We, we had a, yeah, in the yeah. summer, so we had a huge um, heat wave in 1976. And of course, heat waves can be very uh, damaging. In Paris, uh, some, yeah. some years ago, uh, a lot of people tragically died because of they did uh, heat, yeah. heat waves. So they, they can be very dangerous. So all of these. Um, uh, pieces of advice. It won't be long before we go, oh,
1: I wish the sun had come out. Oh, I mean, Friday night, just this Friday night, yeah, just this yeah, a couple of yeah. days ago, it started to rain, didn't it? Because yeah. I was at the docks watching Jimmy Cliff. Yeah. He's another old fella. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it started to rain a bit. We were moaning we yeah. oh, 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 you know, why is it raining? Yeah. I wish it would go away. Yeah, well, we exactly. Did need
0: it. Yeah. I saw, I live um, quite close to the Downs, and mm. um, I, I, I went out, went to the shop, and uh, there's a load of kids who I take it, just, they look like um, they'd just come from sec- their secondary school, yes. you know. And they'd obviously agreed to meet on the Downs, quite yeah. a large number of them, and they were all under a tree. And I think their picnic or whatever it was, their barbecue that they planned, was washed yeah, out. Yeah, you know, I said, yeah, oh, yeah, no, that's really sad for them. That yeah. was their last day or something. Hey. I, I meant to say there are tips for coping in hot weather. I said who was vulnerable but omitted to say what, what you could do. All, all the things really are quite common sense. Um, but uh, if you want to check it out You can go on uh, the the NHS uh, Website uh, How to cope in hot weather Heat. If you, if you google heat wave, How to cope in hot weather uh, It's all there and uh, in much more detail Than I'd be able to uh, Give you here yeah. So as I said you're listening to Love and Science We're looking at the uh, uh, Some of the science news of the day Of the many stories that uh, uh, Are out there we've just picked a few And one of them is a, a um, a curious one, um, uh, think of uh, a few different uses for a giant radio telescope. What would you, what um, would, what would you come mm, up let with? Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> well... Apart uh, from its primary use. Apart from its yeah. primary use, which of course is, lis- is listening to the universe. Yeah, um, uh, w- which is the way? In fact, uh, the, the, at Jodrell Bank. Have, have you have you been ever been to? No, Jodrell? I've never been to. Jodrell it Jodrell, is astonishing. Yeah. There's this enormous telescope, yes. the the uh, the Lovell telescope, with this huge uh, dish. Uh, apparently, uh, I've got some statistics here. Uh, it weigh, It's uh, it's it's actually five thousand square meters. Wow. the bowl is, mm. and it points up at the stars, of course. Um, it weighs 1500 metric tons wow. so it's a, it's a big thing and uh, but there's been a a music festival uh, yeah. using it the blue dot music and science festival until
1: i saw this article i've got it on the screen here by the way the uh, the telescope itself looks like it's just held up with a load of scaffolding doesn't, doesn't it? it it does yeah because yeah. it's not finished yet <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's exactly what it looks yeah, like. They should yeah. shroud it with something. You know, the scaffolding. They In fact, I know a fellow who does this. Uh, a friend of mine. He his business is sheeting scaffolding. You know, oh, where yes. you have the sort of white sheets around yeah, the scaffolding, and yeah, yeah. sometimes they has got have nice patterns on. Pic- pictures on. Pictures. on them. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, could, he could do that. I'll, I'll get him great. to
0: call them. <laughs> well, this, this this thing is is absolutely massive, and that it's been put to use. Bec- through this thing called the the Blue Dot Music and Science Festival, and um, but apparently uh, it's go- it's going to have projections onto it. So you imagine uh, in, uh, in past years they've turned the screen around, turned the bowl around, so you- everybody can see it, mm. which mm. you don't normally do. Which it's normally, normally pointing
1: upwards. Normally pointed
0: yeah. at the skies, yeah. listening for quasars and pulsars and uh, things like that. And and uh, they turn it round so you can see it and then project onto it, project films and things like that onto it. So it's absolutely amazing, enormous screen. But apparently, in the last couple of years, they haven't been able to do that. Um, so it's it, it has hosted displays devised by people like Brian Eno and, uh, I hope I say this right, Daito Daito Manabi. And... Um, uh, but it can't actually. We can't. They, they can't use the bowl this year because it's it's being worked on for some for some other reason. Yes. So what they've done, apparently, is they've decided to um, do a scan of this structure, as you call it, the scaffolding structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, they've used a thing called LiDAR to scan it. And they've, done, they've, they've scanned the whole thing in 3D, turned it into a 2D image. And I don't really understand what I'm talking about now. But then, but then they can um, pr- uh, design what they want to project onto it. Then they turn it back into 3D. And so they know exactly where all the little projectors and mm. everything has to go. And if you're there at the uh, Blue Dot Music and Science Festival and you're looking at this thing, it's just the most incredible uh, display um, as they use every bit of the of the structure to to reflect their images. Do you know when the festival is, I or has it happened? Don't know when it is. I. That's I,
1: really bad of me. I will, well, uh, I will the, the articles here online, but it doesn't actually say when the no. festival is. No, it doesn't say in our. But this Tokyo-based artist, DJ and programmer, called uh, I think it was it, 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 Daito or Dato yeah. Manabi? Yeah, I said yeah. Daito. It yeah, sounds Japanese to me. He's used the data that the lover was gathering from deep space to create the animated light show. So it's not just a, a, a bunch of uh, no, lights not so that. stuff. He's actually no. used the data. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he. He could be decoding the messages that are coming into it from outer uh, space, absolutely. from wherever. This yeah. is where you need Andrew Glester and his yeah. uh, conspiracy theories. <laughs> this, <laughs>
0: Andrew, I'm sorry about that if you're listening to this. Um, if um, I mean the, 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 you've hit on a really interesting thing, actually, yeah. because because we get um, m- millions and millions of, of, of gigabytes, terabytes, uh, petabytes, uh, whatever mm, they call mm. them. And, of course, it takes a very long time to make sense of all of that data. And it could be that already now, sitting in the servers, which have stored all the information that we've been getting, uh, some very, very interesting um, uh, 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 data that tells us something new about the universe. But, yeah, Uh, wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it, if it was revealed doing a a rock show?
1: Yeah, 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 that would be great, wouldn't it, yeah.
0: Another, not. another interesting thing here, um, Bernard Lovell, who um, uh, g- helped create the uh, big telescope, this is the, the one we're actually talking about, because there are several telescopes uh, on, yes. the, on the site at uh, Jodrell, um, is, a, is a Bristol student. He is, yes, absolutely. a lot a Bristol student.
1: There is, there's a lot of uh, schools, actually, including the school that I went to, which was Brislington, oh, yeah. um, had a house called Lovell. Oh, right. As many other schools have houses called Lovell, named after the great uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Bristolians, there was Brunel yeah. and Carpenter and uh, King, uh, Kingsley and uh, all sorts of great Bristol. Um, yeah. Yeah people from the past yeah but love being one of them yeah yeah absolutely so
0: anyway um we can't tell you when the blue dot music and science festival is not right now we can anywhere, find out. but we can find, we can find out, out for you seconds, and, yeah. uh, and 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 let you know uh but it's going to be uh, an an amazing display
2: hello sorry to interrupt it's andrew here just turning their show into a podcast john i don't believe in conspiracy theories i'm not having that and i can tell you when the blue dot festival was because i was there And it was this weekend just gone. While I was there, I had a couple of really great conversations with people. I'll bring those to you as part of this podcast. They weren't part of the radio show. The first one was with Stephen Wilkins, who is one of the first people who's going to be able to use the James Webb Space Telescope when it's launched. And fans of the Hubble Space Telescope will be interested in what he's going to do. But I began by asking him whether James Webb is really Hubble Mark II.
3: It's not going to do exactly what Hubble is going to do, but it's, I think we kind of like to use the term scientific successor. So it's going to be answering the questions that maybe Hubble didn't get the opportunity to answer because it was too small, but then opening up new questions. So the main difference between Hubble and, and Webb is that Hubble really concentrated on visible light. It could do a bit of infrared and a bit of UV, but it was really about the visible light. Whereas Webb is just dedicated to the infrared. So there's many reasons why you want to do that. Um, partly so you can actually push further back in the universe's history. So doing the same kind of science that Hubble did, but really far back in the universe's history. And that's just because of the, the uh, concept of redshift. So the further we look back, the, the higher the redshift objects are. So the more their light is pushed into the infrared. But there's a whole lot of other reasons to actually use the infrared as well. For example, uh, we know that stars and planets, they form out of these clouds of dust and gas. Now, that dust and gas is actually opaque to visible light. So you can see all these beautiful pictures that Hubble took, like the Pillars of Creation, probably my favourite and one of the most iconic. In those pillars, you really don't see the stars forming because you just see the gas and dust. Now, as you look in the infrared, um, the infrared light can actually travel through that gas and dust, and so you can actually see now where the stars and planets are forming. So that's one of the other good reasons. Another good reason is people who want to look at Uh, atmospheres on planets around other stars. Now first of all the contrast between the planet and the star is actually you have the best contrast when you look in the infrared but also in the infrared there are all these features which tell you about what the atmospheres contain so for example by looking in the infrared you can say whether the atmosphere contains water or ozone or methane all these kind of important molecules that we know maybe are going to tell us about life.
2: so one of the most wonderful things about Hubble, right, is these incredible images. So we're not we're not going to be getting those images.
3: So we will. So we will get very similar images. They won't be true colour though. And in fact, lots of Hubble's images weren't actually true colour. Uh, Webb will actually give us images of a higher resolution, uh, just probing kind of different things. So we will make these spectacular images like of the Pillars of Creation. They will look different. They will be higher resolution, so you'll see more detail. Um, but, yeah, we will be able to make just as nice pictures. But they won't be what you would see with your own eyes, which I know is a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. Um, but still, many of the things that we've, we've... many of the images from Hubble aren't really truly what you would exactly see with your own eyes just because Hubble extends beyond what we can see with our own eyes anyway.
2: So if you had control, are you ever going to get control?
3: Of the, of the I do, thing? yeah. So my, so my team, we're part of a, a large international team. There's, there's basically 12 of us. Um, and so we're actually going to be one of the first groups actually using the telescope. So we got, um, we won basically time for this program called the Early Release Science. So we're basically testing the telescope for science. And so the thing that we're going to do, we care about the very distant universe. So we're going to recreate something like the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Um, so a relatively blank patch of sky. We're going to image it with all the different uh, cameras all the different ways of using the cameras really to test things. We will push the frontier. So even with a relatively small amount of time compared to what's been put into Hubble, uh, because the sensitivity is so much better. We'll be able to push to much higher redshift, so much earlier in the universe's history. Um, So we're just really going to start scraping the surface of what web will eventually do So web will build upon our program with lots of other programs in the future that we'll hopefully be involved in as well Uh, But there's colleagues all over the UK and across the world who will do all the different little bit of science as well So when is it going to happen? Because there's been some delays. Yeah, so obviously I mean it's been delayed by two years in the last six months, which is not a good sign Um, the most recent delay came Um, basically after this very long investigation that we hope was kind of we think this investigation has been very thorough and it's now identified the challenges and so NASA are now quoting something like 80% chance of flying in March 2021 now in that same document and this is a public document they actually list how long it would take how long the mission would be delayed if they had to fix various issues and so it could be pushed by a year it could be pushed by further Um, but I mean fingers crossed for 2021 Uh, Obviously, it's not going to be before that now, but hopefully it's not going to be too much delayed. We are getting closer, though. Right, because when Hubble went up, it needed to be fixed after it went up, and as a result of that, they made that incredible IMAX movie. So I reckon just get it up there and then fix it. Ah, The the problem with Webb, though, is that you can't fix it because it's not going to be in orbit around the Earth. So this is one of the major issues. So Webb actually is going to orbit the sun, and so it's actually about four or five times the distance of the moon away. And so it's, at the moment it's impractical to actually send a manned mission up there to fix it. So unlike Hubble, we're not going to be able to send all these servicing missions. And that unfortunately kind of limits Webb's lifetime to maybe 10, 15 years at most. Oh, wow. Wow. So, because Webb actually has some fuel on board which allows it to move around and basically keep its orbit stable, that fuel will run out over time. Not to mention the fact that over that time the instruments will degrade, uh, the mirrors might get hit by uh, basically chunks, small chunks of rock, and so we don't really expect the, the entire telescope, let alone the fuel, to last much beyond that. Okay, I mean, I'll be honest, my head is thinking of the Danny Boyle film Sunshine, right? Mm-hmm.
2: We, can, we can send people into the heart of the sun.
3: I think that that film is uh, my least favourite science fiction (laughs) film of all time because it's the least accurate so it's kind of on there there was another film called The Core which is like equally bad science although I think Sunshine just made it worse that whole film I always make fun of it because it's essentially Apocalypse Now in Space (laughs) and Apocalypse Now is based on a novel called Heart of Darkness and it's basically the exact same thing they go and they find a crazy person who has been influenced by the environment that he's in and now in in sunshine it was the middle of the sun implausibly Uh, but in all seriousness aside um, one possible saving grace for the more distant future so maybe 10 years away is the fact that Um, certainly the US, in terms of NASA, they're pushing, or at least there's political pressure, to have a Mars mission, so a manned Mars mission. And it turns out, if you want to do a manned Mars mission, the first step would be to go to the second Lagrange point, which is where Webb is. So it might be that they do a test manned mission to L2, so we'll be on the Moon, and while they're there, they could, you know, fix Webb, uh, refuel it, and then come back again, and then they go out for a longer mission to Mars. So it might be an excuse doing this testing there to actually fix Hubble, uh, sorry, fix Webb that's a long time in the future and this is all very speculative at the moment but there's a possibility.
2: Well if if James Cameron or Danny Boyle or any other film directors are listening
3: there's there's your next story. Exactly yeah and if Elon Musk is listening if he can just lend us a couple of quid that might be quite (laughs) useful as well.
2: I'll send you back to John and Malcolm in the studio again in a minute, but I thought you'd like to hear this. I met up with Dr. Lucy Quinn, who's a scientist at the British Antarctic Survey, and you'll know her from the Blue Planet series. She is the one who brought us those shocking scenes with the albatrosses and the plastic among their colony. I began by asking her how she got involved in the making of this landmark BBC TV series.
4: Okay, so I was working with British Antarctic Survey as seabird scientist down on Bird Island, which is one of the scientific research stations that British Antarctic Survey have, and it's a really small island. It's only 4.8 kilometres long by 800 metres wide, so it's tiny. And um, I, I was working there whenever the BBC Blue Planet team were wanting to come down and film a story about older albatrosses um, put lots of energy into their kind of final breeding attempt, and it's something called terminal investment. So I was helping out with logistics of that and just happened to be working on the island at the time. And uh, effectively, whenever they came on, it was my job to make sure that they weren't, you know, getting too close to the birds and that I was taking them to places where they'd be able to feasibly film the, the wandering albatross that they were wanting to film. And it was really through through them being there that we then obviously wanted to to show this story about albatrosses and the marine litter problem. So Mm. then I got involved with that story because I was on the island at the time.
2: Because people will have seen you on Blue Planet 2 on screen talking about (laughs) this this plastic problem. Mm. Incredible, um, heartbreaking footage which has Mm. mobilised a nation and beyond, right? how
4: does that feel? Yeah, it's been absolutely incredible. I mean, the thing with science quite a lot is, you know, it takes years. And, I mean, people have been, you know, scientists have been working for decades um, knowing that there's marine litter problems. And, in fact, at British Antarctic Survey, they've been you know, looking at the plastic there for, yeah, over 20 years. Um, to, to have, you know, the public react in such an incredible way to the story, I think it was due to, you know, the... Amazing images that the the BBC Blue Planet was were able to present to the public, um, combined with the fact that that final episode had you know scientists basically stating the case and and you know we're all collaboratively saying you know something needs to change because it's it's only us that can do something about this and it's been amazing. So the public support has been fantastic, and I think it has ultimately you know forced our sort of government's hand at right yeah we can't ignore this anymore um something needs done and it needs doing now otherwise by 2050 we'll have more plastic in the sea than fish and effectively that's not a legacy want to leave Um, and i I think the main thing is about ensuring that we stop putting plastic in the ocean so that's that you know we need to cut off that there's already lots in there and that's going to Disintegrate, and some of it may come out, but really, we need to stop at the source. Yeah. So you're
2: a, a
4: ornithologist, what or is it? Yeah, a marine, ornithologist, a marine yeah. ornithologist. So plastic
2: is—is is it something that the BBC saw because they were going to specific places, or is it everywhere?
4: Oh, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's absolutely everywhere. So, so obviously they were um, filming on many different. Parts of the ocean, from from the deep ocean um, up to the surfaces and coastlines, and it, it has infiltrated everywhere. So, um, yeah, from the high Arctic down to Antarctica, and, and you know, fr- from the smallest animal in the sea to to the large whales, they're all being infl- you know coming into contact with with our own detritus and marine litter. Um, I think it would just happen to be highlighted very well in the Blue Planet show, but it's something that, you know, if you've worked in marine ecology, it's been known about. Um, Yeah, so a seabird colony, you're constantly seeing how seabirds have brought back um, plastic to your, you know, around their nests. Um, I work on a project that looks at northern fulmers, which is um, a really lovely seabird that we have in the UK. And effectively, we get any fulmers that have been, say, washed up on the beach or caught accidentally um, by fishermen, we we collect up all those samples and we dissect the fulmer and over 95% of those birds have plastic in their stomachs and that's in our own North Sea and effectively because birds forage so widely and go to so many different parts of the ocean they're they're fantastic indicator species so that's, you know, species that we can look at as showing us a, an indication of the, the, the marine health and and where they've been to, and um, so yes, we we've, we see it in our in our everyday working. Um, now the question, obviously, as scientists, is how much of an influence is the plastic having on their population, and that's a big question. You know, we we already know two of the. The main reasons why seabird populations are in decline, why certain populations are, for example, the albatrosses and some of our own seabirds like fulmars, um, is because they're being ca- caught accidentally in longline fishing. So, um, yeah, tracking work has shown that there's overlap in the tuna fisheries, for example, in in um, the southern oceans and. Um, so that's one major major reason why lots of seabirds are, are dying because they're being caught on fishing lines um, and the second one of course is climate change affecting their food supply and you know areas that they might have previously known oh this is a great foraging spot i'm going to go there they go there and the fish is either no longer there it's been fished out or you know that fish hasn't bloomed in time for them
2: The, the albatross is a it's almost a mythical creature that most of us don't get to see. Yeah. Them, but you actually get to hang out
4: with them. Um, tell me why you love them. Oh my goodness! Oh, where to? Where to stop? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's they're incredible creatures to be around. They're very, very gentle, and well, they've got they've got feistiness to them as well, of course. But they're just. I think it's to do with the fact that they're so long-lived. It's just amazing to think, you know, these some of these albatrosses can live till they're over sixty years old, and you just think of, you know, everything they've seen and and. And the fact that they can travel for thousands and thousands of miles, um, you know, to, yeah, to get their food and, and come back. Um, they're just so graceful when you watch them flying in there. air. They're less graceful on land, you yeah, know, yeah. that you can just tell. And, you know, they're just such comedy moments as well. You know, if you just sit down and, and watch them, you can just see their lovely interactions with one another. You know, for example, um, in wintertime, the wandering albatross parents, they... They leave their chick over winter, and they, you know, they, they will just both be foraging for that chick. So they don't necessarily see each other as much as they will in the breeding period, where they'll be swapping over. And so you can sit down, and you're watching a particular nest for the chick, and and it just happens that they will come in at the same time, and they'll actually spend time interacting and preening one another. And you know, they, you know, you don't want to anthropomorphise it, but you can see that they they look pleased to see one another and, and they, they beat clack and they preen before they even feed their chick, you know the chick is crying away and it's, so it's so important to them, the pair bond is so important because ultimately they're interested in that long term bond and um, over and above the individual chick that's there, it's, they're just they're amazing creatures and of course you know Wandering Albatross their 3.5 metre wingspan yeah. Um. it's amazing because it's,
2: it's, yeah. right, it's one of the things that you partic- particularly you brought to this thing for me is that you, when you see the albatross on film you don't see it. You see it in flight, so yeah. it doesn't look that. Di- I mean, it's incredibly graceful. End, yeah. yeah, It don't doesn't look that different to a gull right? Yeah, of course Because yeah, yeah. you can't see the size, but mm. when they're actually sitting next to you, you're <laughs> yeah. sitting next. To you. <laughs> yeah, it's
4: they're incredible. huge. Yeah, they're enormous. They're absolutely enormous. Um, and when we we attach, um, you know, we've been attaching very small um, GPS trackers to, to the backs and um, which eventually fall off or we can collect back after a couple of weeks um, to to see where they're foraging and, and to do that you obviously need to um, ha- be able to handle the bird and everything and it you know it's it's a real privilege to get to handle a bird like that. You know, you just can't get over. I'm used to working with, you know, with UK seabirds that are tiny. So I've actually, when I've come back to the UK now, I'm like, oh my goodness, this bird is so small. How am I, to, <laughs> how am I supposed to capture this? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so you've they're been amazing. Out with
2: puffins and
4: stuff, you? Yeah, puffins and fulmers yeah. and uh, shags and razorbill. No, it's Star Wars. Is this, oh, so, oh, right, yeah, little porgy. Oh right, yeah, the reason fork, that yeah. the
2: porgs are in Star Wars is because oh, yeah. the, the, the island that they were filming Star Wars on had so many puffins on it that they had to put porgs in it to oh. cover up the puffins, <laughs> otherwise, that's, they could
4: That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I guess they didn't have puffins in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Galaxy Far Far away. <laughs> There's also puffins. <laughs>
2: yeah. Anyway, that's enough from me. Back to the radio show.
0: Our next story is is very demanding and uh, you're really going to have to put your uh, uh, mind to this one because we, that is the public, the great British public, uh, (laughs) are being asked uh, to name the new European uh, Mars rover and uh, it's currently uh, called uh, ExoMars and uh, which, isn't, a,
1: very sexy,
0: is which it? isn't very sexy which isn't very sexy at all and it's going to go to mars in uh, 2020 and uh, it's jo- so as we know there are lots of things going yes. around mars at the moment the most famous of them is the curiosity ones they're either orbiting around the outside or uh, actually landed on mars we've had a few disasters as well with do you know crashing.
1: why it was called exomars
0: uh, no I, it doesn't make sense really does it well i tell i tell you the what what they call the search for if if you study life on other planets exoplanets uh, Exoplanets—it's yeah. called exobiology. Uh, okay, fine. so it might be they've called it ExoMars because they're looking for the exobiology of. It just means it's not on Earth; it's not Earth-bound life. It sounds like a
1: scientist came up with ExoMars. <laughs> yeah,
0: ExoMars. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. okay. And um, the astronaut uh, Tim Peake. So, so sorry. Let me get. Let's get our thoughts in order. So, it's going to go to Mars in 2020. Yes, that's the uh, that's the idea, and uh, it's a six-wheeled robot. And um, it really does need a good name Now we know what happens when we ask <laughs> 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 Just say it Crowdsource. Just say it Boaty McBoatface Boat face. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, uh, so, so do, we, do we want something called
1: uh, similarly Spacey McSpace Spacey McSpace Mc, Well it's in the articles isn't yeah, it yeah, space? yeah, the Spacey McSpace space face. Space face. It's difficult to say <laughs> It is. Yeah. it is They've already discounted that one
0: Well in any case uh, they're, they're, they're asking for suggestions Suggestions and it's going to be decided by a panel, so they've 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 eradicated the fact that uh, there's going to be a mockery of the <laughs>
1: of the name. Well, the vehicle is currently being assembled at the Airbus <clears throat> factory in Stevenage, so why don't exactly. you just call it Steven? Yes, I don't know. Just,
0: just Stephen, I like the uh, yes Stephen. That's got, got something to it. Well, uh, and uh, Stephen Hawking, of course. Oh, yes. you know, or, yes. or Hawking. Yes, God, I don't know. We could we could say that in his honour. Yeah. Uh, I, actually, I, I, you said to me a, 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 a while back. Yeah. What about um, uh, naming it after David Bowie? Just David Bowie. Call just it Dave, calling it David the David, uh, the David
1: Bowie. Call yeah. it David Bowie or Bowie or, yeah. or Jones. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, that was his real name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah. So,
0: um, the important thing about this is that uh, cu- curiosity g- goes around and just looks at, yeah. at, well, I say it just, it's done an incredible job at looking at features. It's actually a bit self determining. It wanders around and looks, at, unless it's told otherwise, it looks at things it thinks are interesting and uh, beams the images back. Uh, does a little bit of analysis, but it 's not actually looking for life so all the all the excitement about oh look well, maybe we've, uh, we 've found life is not actually based on a, a, an experiment that we 're doing at the moment, but this will be this is mm. going to dig about two meters into the um martian soil and it's 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 going to look for bugs it's going mm. to look for life it's going to look maybe some kind of plant uh, you know or, uh, primitive plant life or what, or what who knows what might be there um, and so uh, it's, uh, it's a very exciting uh, possibility. Mm. Tim Peake, uh, who um, we've talked about often on this show, uh, who's in the International uh, Space Station, he's launched the name search uh, at the, uh, just this last Friday at the Farnborough International Air Show. Mm. And um, uh, he's asking people to uh, look, uh, to, to, to come up with a name. So do you want to know what the rules are? Yes So the naming website is hosted by Airbus You can look look at it on there Um, It can be a single word, a short combination of words or an acronym That that sounds like anything to me
1: Yeah It doesn't sound like a rule Well, the Americans called their Mars rover Spirit, Opportunity and Curiosity Mm. Which, I mean, the acronym of that is SOC, isn't it? Yes Um, (laughs) But the British have tended in the past to use names for their missions after famous scientists, so is that a clue as to what they're looking for? Mm. Is
0: that yes, mm. maybe, maybe. I mean, I I love the idea of honouring, uh, uh, you know. I mean, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, but many people are going yeah. to come up with Stephen. We'd we'll probably name a be. big black hole the after Hawk? Stephen. I'm Hawking. How about calling it the Hawking, Ho- Mars the Hawk. Hawk? Yeah, Mars, yeah, Mars yeah, Hawk. Yeah, there are lots of things. He he was famous, of course, for black holes. So maybe we should name a big black hole after after him. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing about the name: it must not have been used for a past, current, or proposed space mission. I must say, I'm not hugely up on the names of proposed <laughs> so space Apollo tens out of the question. Yeah. <laughs> you can't call it Apollo ten. <laughs> um, yeah. Ideas should be ac- Oh look, this is the hard work now Ideas should be accompanied by an explanation Of no more than 150 words Oh for goodness <laughs> sake oh, Come on, explain your working <laughs> Show your working yeah. um, If a person's name That person must have died on or be- This is weird Must have died on or before The 10th of October 1993 That rules out Hawking Ah, oh, gee Yeah, rules out Bowie
1: it does, yeah. It rules out a lot of people. Um, wow,
0: what a weird and arbitrary rule.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds I like, don't this understand sounds like an at all. old fella came up with this. Yes. Or an old lady. Yeah, who, who's, who's hoping to be named. Who <laughs> well, they're not dead. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah, well, they can name it after their mother, maybe. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Um... The search website is going to close to entries at twenty-three fifty-nine British Standard Time, so midnight on the tenth of October, twenty eighteen. So we do have a few months. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. Uh, well, look on this show, we're definitely going to come up with a name.
1: But it, it, it looks like they want it to be named after a person, judging by what yeah. you just read, yeah. uh, and yeah. that person would have died before nineteen ninety-three. Yeah, yeah. So that, we're you gonna know, have to dive into the they're, they're going for tradition, aren't they? They are rather than sort of. They m- are, but
0: we might that. be able to swing it another way. You yeah. never, you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you mustn't underestimate our ingenuity on this show. Yes, or your influence. Or, more, <laughs> yeah, my direct influence. <laughs> yes. um, a UK Space Agency expert panel will choose mm. the best suggestion. But do you know where the UK Space Agency
1: is based? Um, It used to be in Swindon, didn't it? It might have
0: been, that's possibly
1: true Or is that the European Space Agency? I think the
0: the ESA, yes I think it did have somewhere in in uh, Swindon But But, uh, the UK Space Agency I I, I say strangely and oddly I'm safely in Bristol, so I can say that Is in Leicester yeah, um, But there you go, it's almost the middle of, of, of,
1: of so Britain So they're, they're the ones who want to name it I mean, what is, what's Leicester famous for? <laughs> Crisps? <laughs> Gary Lineker? <laughs> <laughs>
0: the, the winning entry will earn a tour of the Airbus factory rebuilding the rover, I see oh. And um, it says, Think hard, only one name suggestion will be accepted from each entrant. So there you go, I'm going to have to get some of my pseudo-pseudonyms.
1: Well, yeah all of this, I've become less interested now. Yeah, Because know. You, you can't come up with anything, you know, funky or, or funny or strange. It has to be a scientist who popped his clogs before 1993. Yeah. Or her clogs.
0: Yeah, 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 You're absolutely right. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to need I some, I need some uh, uh, thinking time now.
4: You're listening to Love and Science on BCFM Radio.
0: Indeed you are. And uh, that was uh, Mika Snow, Genghis Khan, and you're listening to Love and Science uh, with Malcolm Love and uh, john Ford, and uh, we 've uh, been talking uh, about things uh, astronomical, coming up with a name for the uh, new uh, Mars uh, rover that 's going to uh, go to Mars uh, to look for life in uh, two thousand and twenty so on the show we 're going to be uh, doing that, um, but that uh, raises there 's going to be something very exciting happening in terms of uh, uh, the spectacular actually this friday mm. so we hope we hope the skies are going to be clear because it's going to be absolutely amazing britain is going to witness a spectacular and rare celestial spectacle at dusk on friday the full moon will rise and re- reveal itself colored a deep red and then the nation's going to experience what's called a blood moon or a total lunar eclipse uh, uh, so that's going to be very exciting I'm going I'm to be out there looking for it, that It
1: is, I'm, I'm just looking at the weather forecast For, for Bristol for Friday And uh, there's a little bit of cloud around Because <laughs> it's Friday night going into Saturday Isn't it? Yeah um, And the weather forecast is pretty good It's going to be pretty clear um, on friday night a few wispy clouds around okay is the forecast so far But yeah. as, as we know they tend to now cast rather than forecast these days they do uh, they, yes. well so, as I've, I've said before, but on the basis of what i've got here and i've got two weather apps on my phone um from competitors and they both yeah. say the same thing so yeah i, I think you're gonna be lucky yeah.
0: Appar- apparently uh, weather forecasts aren't much good after three days no, <laughs> <laughs> no not. Sometimes not the next day yeah. Yeah,
1: But uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to show you a picture This is no good for the radio But no. this is something I took of the last one all right, um, on my camera. This is a lunar eclipse. Oh, is not an eclipse. This is the red moon. It's a, it's oh, a bit orangey on my. Phone, oh yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. beautiful, the blood moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think that was. I can't remember when that was now. Yeah, but, um,
0: it is. It, it, it is a kind, It is a weird sort of uh, red. So, so apparently, this what, was January? So, end of January. End of January. Yeah. Well, well, well. This one is going to be very special because it's the longest-lasting uh, total lunar eclipse of the 21st century. Um, it's going to rise in the southeast at around eight fifty PM in London. Uh, so I don't know what that will be for Bristol, but a few few minutes at the same time. Uh, uh, just a, um, a few moments later, I guess a couple yeah, of minu- couple of oh. minutes later, because yeah. um, it used to be such a thing, didn't there, as Bristol time?
1: Oh yes, of course. The yeah. Trains
0: used to work to Bristol time, and in fact, I believe. Um, jacob Rees mogg once proposed that we return to bristol time what uh, yeah. only looking
1: at only looking at fob watches on chains from our waistcoats yes, I think yes. that's exactly
0: yeah. what he did yeah. anyway back back to the point uh, the moon's eclipse will continue until early on saturday yeah. and uh, so friday evening is going to be very very special um i don't know if you knew this or know this i have a degree in theology I did uh, know that. You did, did. Did I tell that. you yeah, that? You
1: keep preaching to me about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, of course, one of the things that comes to mind is in olden times, in ancient times, yes. and biblical times, people were terrified of seeing the red moon. Which, of course, is something which happens on a regular basis. This mm. isn't something mm. weird and freaky that you know is an omen. Yeah. Um, it, it happens on a regular and predictable basis uh, through history. Yeah. Uh, it's just that it doesn't happen every day or every week. Yes, um, but people were really frightened. Of, and they and they made the, the symbol of what's called the blood moon or the red moon um, a, a kind of harbinger of doom
1: And so you can often uh, you read can, about you it You can imagine before science Yeah And people's understanding as to why these things happened It would have been quite frightening, wasn't it? Yeah because In the article that we've both got in front of us There is a very simple explanation as to why it appears redder yeah then it does i mean you you can put your science spin on that i mean how, yeah. why is it redder at this time
0: yeah yeah well it's it's because um, when the what what's actually going to happen is that the earth uh, comes in between the sun and the moon and so you get this uh, eclipse effect this is not a, um, a solar eclipse this is a lunar eclipse yeah. uh, which means you actually one of the nice things about it is you can look look at it perfectly safely uh, there's going to be no damage uh, to your eyes by, by looking at it in fact it's probably better uh, to look at it with uh, with a naked eye um, and what happens is that the longer wavelengths which just happen, they happen to be red we perceive them as the color red they squeeze around the earth. And they land on the surface of the moon and give it a red. They bathe it in red light, right. and that, that's why we see that, it yeah. as red. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but before people understood that, as I say, must have been quite frightening. <laughs> as terrifying. What's going on? Yeah.
0: Yeah. bloody yeah. The world's yeah, coming yeah, to an yeah, end. Yeah, you yeah. know. And it's an interesting thought, isn't it? That, that people. I mean, we read about this with the Aztecs and with the, with the Incas, you know, in South uh, what's now South America. Um, that uh, of course they figured out uh, quite early on how to predict the priests figured out how to predict things like eclipses they they realized that they came regularly mm. it may well be that ancient britons you know as far back as 4000 bc so that's that's a very very long time ago uh with think places like stonehenge were able were able to predict using using those rocks piled up in that way were able to predict eclipses and of course if you can predict that gives you great power
1: over ordinary mm, people. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, all, what I know for sure is on Friday night there are going to be so many people taking photographs of it yeah, and posting it online yeah. and on social media and what have you. Yeah. You're going to be blessed with lots of great photographs. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be absolutely wonderful. On the subject of the moon, the, the, the local artist based in Bristol called Luke, uh, Luke Jaram, whose office is on Park Street, he was the guy responsible for the big slide down Park Street, the water slide, a few years ago. Yeah, oh but, yes, I remember that. Yeah, yes. you, you never had a go on it. I didn't get to have a go <laughs> not on not it. At no, at, but sadly. It, it looked a lot of fun. Um, well, he, <laughs> a couple of moon things related to him. Um, a Apart from doing the commentary at the Harbour Festival this weekend, I also do the balloon fiesta. A couple of years ago, he turned up with this huge inflatable moon-looking thing, which he was going to light up, and yeah. it was going to look beautiful at yes. night. We, we talked about
0: it on the show, we, actually, you John. You did, yeah. yeah.
1: And <laughs> um, the, the guy's got the weather forecast, and the balloons didn't go up that particular oh. night because it was too windy. Yeah. So they said to Luke, you better not put it up <laughs> because it might blow away. He went, no, it would be all right. Right. So what did he do? He put it up. And what did he do? Blew away. Oh, <laughs> and man. And it ripped. I mean, it sounds funny, but it was very tragic. Anyway, a giant replica of the moon, which um, uh, he sent to Austria for an exhibition in uh, a place called Lenz, or Lenz in, in uh, uh, Austria. He sent it there <laughs> and it went missing. Now, now this is a seven-metre right, orb, and this this isn't a, a, a balloon. This is actually a, a solid construction, 23 feet uh, <laughs> diameter <laughs> right? It was created here and they sent it By TNT Courier uh, And it got lost the, the post office in Austria lost it <laughs> As you would. I mean, you, just you know, lose it. you it's l- quite understandable, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turned up 186 miles away, 300 kilometres, in a, um, a town called... Um, uh, well, a different town. I've lost it here. Oh, Grasse. It, it turned up in uh, a place called Grasse. Um, well, in France, south of France? Uh, uh, no, in Austria. Uh, G-R-A-Z. Ah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, he yeah. Said it was a very precious parcel. Uh, there was no paperwork with it, and when it turned up, they didn't have a clue the people what it was. <laughs> They got it out of the box. It had no label on it or anything. The box. It got it out of the box. It was a big box. It's, <laughs> it's a great seven, picture, seven of it here. It's a picture of it here. wide box. It's a And uh, Luke Juran went uh, took to Twitter, as they say. The moon has been found, he says. Thank you to everyone for supporting this lunar mission to find the moon. He says, thank you for making the effort. I'm over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> it was put on display at the University of Bristol last year, actually. Um, there's a picture of it in the Great Hall here. And uh, it does look rather beautiful, yeah, but it's uh, awesome. On display in Austria now, but they found it, so that's all good. <laughs> Imagine losing your moon. Uh, you're listening to
0: Love and Science on uh, BCFM 93.2. By the way, you can uh, go to uh, the BCFM website, BCFM. BCFM m What's the matter with me? Radio.com uh, and uh, look at the schedule and uh, uh, l- see the programmes. There are lots of fabulous uh, programmes there including Getting Bristol Home with uh, John Ford uh, which is following this show. So John's staying on in the studio to uh, do that uh, and um, you can listen to uh, all the uh, back catalogue of uh, Love and Science too uh, uh, just just uh, Get yourself a Campari and soda Or whatever it is you like to drink (laughs) what? (laughs) You know I was trying to think of a a good science I didn't
1: have you down as a Campari and soda man
0: Certainly not me I can tell you that I can tell you that Uh, And And uh, listen, listen to uh, love and side. How weird of me, right? <laughs> I'd Let's... imagine
1: you in your smoking jacket and brandy, listening to yeah, your exactly. back catalogue of exactly. programs.
0: Brandy's yeah. the thing, I know. Yeah. Uh, so
1: um, the, we we've just got time,
0: uh, hopefully, for a, a quick couple of stories before we uh, finish. Um, a 12 million tonne iceberg, there's pictures <laughs> of this, there's videos of this uh, all over uh, the media, um, threatens a, a village in Greenland. This is a, a result of uh, the incredibly warm weather that we've been having. Um, um, uh, the icebergs break off. In fact, they do every every summer, but this is a massive one. It's um, gone by um, a little uh, village called uh, Inarsuit uh, in Greenland. Uh, it was sighted uh, on July the twelfth. Then it came incredibly close uh, to the village. It measures two hundred meters wide. It rises a hundred meters above sea level. Uh, and remember, there's an awful lot more of it mm. underneath, it, uh, under the yeah. under the water, and it probably weighs more than twelve million tons. That's what people uh, are. Uh, estimating. And the problem with they call it carving when these things bre- when ice breaks off of them. Yeah. And uh, apparently they've had to move people away in this village get them away from the coast because all the while the iceberg was there it uh, if it carves and bits break off it and fall into the water mm. it actually creates a tsunami.
1: Yeah, well it would do, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, you know. It's a huge. I mean, it's a bit like I saw the photographs online. It's
0: it's like living at the
1: the foot of the Matterhorn or something, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it is huge, absolutely huge. And it's, it, it was it was passing by and it stopped. It stopped, didn't it? Effectively, yeah. I don't know if it uh, hit something or was stuck on something, but it it, it just stopped.
0: Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Of course it got very close to the coast. So I'm imagining yeah. it's. Probably shallower there Mm -hmm. And apparently uh, Last year uh, four people Were killed, they were just walking around Near the beach, Uh, something like this Happened then and they just got swamped and, and washed out to sea. So it's uh,
1: and this is down to global warming, thing. presumably, as you, as you said. I mean, the, well, I mean, it's always hard to tell if an
0: incident is down to global warming. Mm. Um, but um, overall, you you can only tell, you know, as they say, the weather is what's happening today, but climate is what happens over a, a, a
1: long period of time. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, but, but may, it's maybe frightening it maybe it and staggering if you live there. Yeah, if you live there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I wouldn't like to be. Yeah.
0: Well, look, um, John, it's been fabulous having you on the the show this week. Thank you for coming in early (laughs) (laughs) and working with
1: us. You're very welcome. There's a whole load of stuff we haven't covered. I might just do that in the next three hours somehow.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so stay tuned for after the news for uh, getting. Getting Bristol Home with uh, John Ford and uh, uh, we're off air now until the uh, first Monday in September. Have yourselves a brilliant summer and uh, it's been a pleasure having your company this afternoon. Take care.